You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle getting ready for Sunday's matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Something that I did not think we would be talking about is the fact, John, that the Seahawks need to snap a three-game losing streak. I can't even remember the last time we talked about something like that. Because we weren't doing this podcast the last time it happened. It was in 2011. I was not employed by the team, so we, we have not talked about it, in fact. Well, and despite how unusual it is and how different it feels, John, I would say this, the vibe around the building and around the team, I think maybe is a little bit more optimistic than people would expect. Maybe determined is the better word on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're looking at it as nobody's happy about the record. Obviously. Of course that's, not. that's no good, but they've been in almost, I mean, really the Minnesota games, the only one, one the only game you look at where you're like, okay, we were out of that game. The other four losses, they could have easily found a way to win those at the end of the game. So, you know, you got to get hot now if you're going to make the playoffs. You got to win a lot of games, but they look at the talent they have on this team. They know Russell Wilson's coming back at some point. They're, they're confident that there's still enough games to get this going. We do not have a timeline on Russell's return. We know he needs to miss at least one more game. Then the team will be on its bye. Hopefully that will be enough, but there really is no indication as to when he might return. We do know when you look at the playoff picture, which is still a little bit early right now, you do have an additional team that makes the playoffs this year. So that kind of bumps up those chances. But there are so many teams that are bunched together in those standings. There is a path for the Seahawks going forward, but you cannot have the same mistakes that you've made. When we talked to Will Disley this week, he said, look, anytime you were in those close games, like those one score games, it always comes down to eight or nine plays on either side of the ball. I hadn't really thought about the number of plays, but I think he's right. Yeah. I mean, you look at whether it's a crucial penalty, which Seahawks had a few of in the last game or obviously a turnover is always big or just that sack that kills a drive. Yeah. I mean, you can point to any game, just be like, you fix these few things right here and totally different outcome. For so long, though, it seemed like the Seahawks would get the bounce in those close games, whether you want to call it luck or momentum. Maybe it was just going back to the Legion of Boom. But what the last few weeks have reminded the Seahawks and their fans of is just how thin that margin is for winning. There's no doubt. You know, I, I don't I, I don't I don't know if I mentioned it the other night, but, you know, coming off of the Super Bowl season, you know, the first meeting we had in here, I showed these guys the nine games that we had that were it could have gone either way, you know, and, and during the season to, to make them realize again, you know, how slim the margin is when you think you're all that, you know, and you, you know, you, you won the world championship and you think, you know, you, you got it made. Well, every single game of those nine games during the course of the season could have easily could have gone the other way, just like these these last few games have gone so that you respect the, the, the challenge of it and, and the detail that it takes to execute so that you can finish the games in charge of the, the outcome instead of, you know, on the other side of it. And, and uh, that's how it goes. And, I mean, look at the games every every weekend. You see, you're, the weekend is highlighted by five or six games that all come right down to the last play or the last kick. 
I did go back and look at that season. It was five of their regular season wins and two of their three playoff wins were all decided by one score, if you defined as, you know, eight points or less. And all three losses, obviously, were close. So to his point, I mean, the difference between a 13-win season and a 9- or 10-win season can be razor slim. You go back to last year. Ooh. This team was 12-4 and four with you win at the goal line against the Patriots. You get a fourth down pass to DK Metcalf against the Vikings. And now they're not getting those plays to go their way, and all of a sudden they've lost – four games either by one score or in overtime. I think it also feels different when those wins come during the course of the season because as I recall that Super Bowl season they happened early and so you kind of got this feeling it's like well at least you got the wins early Uh right it would have felt entirely different had it been five losses early on and then you went on a run even though the point differential would have been the same at the end of the year. Yeah for sure I mean that team kind of it didn't struggle early, but it had some tight games early, and then it really hit its groove later in the season. Well, and we can talk about this in terms of the Seahawks. You can also talk about this in terms of Jacksonville. I mean, this, this is a team, it's easy to overlook. They have had some drama. They have had their challenges, and they've got a rookie quarterback. But, John, this is certainly not a team that you are going to overlook for a number of different reasons. Well, for starters, when you're two and five, you can't really afford to be overlooking anybody. But yeah, I mean, you're right. That Jacksonville team, they've got a lot of talented players. They've been in games late in the game. They've been going neck and neck with, you know, Arizona, Cincinnati, some really good teams. And then, you know, like might happen to a young, inexperienced team, they don't finish very well. And they lost a bunch of those. They finally did get their first win uh, two weeks ago before their bye. But yeah, I mean, talent wise and just the kind of the way they're playing, this is not a one win team you can overlook at all. You just mentioned something that actually has me a little bit concerned about this week's game. That and the familiarity between these teams. It's the second week in a row the Seahawks are going to be playing a team that is coming off their bye. And we know that if you give a team an extra week to prepare, they are going to use it that way. And we heard guys say this week that, yeah, they they might be running something different that they haven't put on film. Yeah, I mean, Geno Smith talked about that. He was asked about the timeouts they had to, to burn, and he said part of the issue was that some things got installed over the bye week. New Orleans was doing some looks that they weren't familiar with, and that led to some confusion on offense and and having to burn some of those timeouts. So, yeah, I'm sure the Jaguars are going to throw some wrinkles at the Seahawks, especially, again, you consider their offensive coordinator and passing game coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel, were both here for a long time and know this defense well, know Pete Carroll well, so... Going to be a fun chess match. Yeah, and I was just about to say, Urban Meyer might be new to the league, but his coaching staff is not. A lot of familiarity. And I think this is probably uh, a nod to how good Pete Carroll is that so many of his coaches have ended up on that staff. Those guys, you know, they know the league, and, and they have, uh, from what I can tell from the breakdowns that I'm going through and, and you know, and evaluating them, that they're, they've chosen really good stuff to, to build their offense, and they're using their personnel well, and in particular the quarterback. And uh, those guys have great backgrounds, and they, they, you know, they know what they're doing. So it's a very smart staff, and, you know, and Sanjay as well, you know, we would expect all those guys, you know, they're going to put together a heck of a game plan this week. I found it interesting. I was talking to people in Jacksonville and I, I kind of asked about this of, you know, what's up with all the Seattle people? Is there a connection between Urban and Pete? And there isn't really much connection there, but apparently Urban Meyer has mentioned Pete on a number of occasions, just the respect he has for him, the, the culture he's built here, and that it was intentional to go out and bring a lot of Seattle people there just because he likes what the Seahawks have had going here. So 
kind of a real sign of respect that, you know, for not, it's not that obvious. They coach together. They have all these mutual connections. It's just uh, looking from afar. Urban Meyer really respects what Pete Carroll's built. Well, and that coaching staff has helped Trevor Lawrence settle in. I found it interesting when talking to Bobby Wagner this week, what he said was the numbers are what you would expect from a rookie. When you first come into the league, you are expecting to have the big plays that show up the same things that you did in college. But now over the last few weeks, Trevor Lawrence has learned to take what the defense is giving him shorter yardage. But as a result, we are seeing the completion percentage and the completion percentage go up. Turnovers go down. Exactly. Yeah. Seven interceptions those first three games. He's only had one the last three. And, you know, for a team that started out the season turning over the ball a ton, they've cleaned that up a lot and it's helped them function a lot better on offense. So from a defensive standpoint, here's what we know about that offense. They are missing some speed on the outside with their wide receivers, and they are using Agnew, who's been a return specialist, as more of a wide receiver. He's having a little bit of a breakout. They've got a nice running game, but when we put this in perspective, how should the Seahawks defense be playing against this team that has talent but maybe not cohesion? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure anybody you ask in that locker room is going to say they got to stop the run. I mean, James Robinson's a really good, first of all, they always say stopping the run first is the main thing. But also when you've got, a, you know, running back averaging five and a half a carry, he's got 460 yards in six games. He's been really productive. You know, for all the good things Trevor Lawrence has done, he is still a rookie. He's on the road. It, you don't, if you're Jacksonville, you don't want him in a position where he's got to do everything himself. So to me, the Seahawks defense, which has played a lot better on defense these last couple of weeks, that, that's where it's going to start. Yeah, you know, it is interesting to look at those numbers. The Seahawks defense, especially on third down, they have improved on third down defense. It is now 21% that they are allowing. Am I saying that right? 21% I think over the last four third weeks. down over the last four weeks. Yeah, that's, which is best in the NFL. Yes, I cannot read my chicken scratch notes. Uh, in fact, last week, the Saints converted just two of 13 on third down. So they are making some progress. And as I'm looking here, total yards allowed, it keeps going down as well. It was right about 300 yards last week against the Saints. Of course, inclement weather, that'll do a little bit to put a damper on those yards. But I'm wondering if this is truly a turnaround and if it will look anything like last year's turnaround. Let's hope. I mean, it's a little interesting because last year's turnaround was all predicated on pass rush, and so far they haven't gotten that going. I mean, it was a little better last week, but they haven't got the pass rush going to where it was the second half of last season. Right now, it's more about their cleaning coverage up. Their cornerbacks are playing better. They're cleaning up some of those zone concepts that were just leaving dudes wide open in the middle of the field. So it's it has gotten better. I think you know, we're really probably not going to know for sure how good this turnaround is till you see Green Bay, Arizona, see the Rams again, some of these elite NFC offenses. But Certainly good progress. Well, and last year's turnaround was also because you brought guys in, namely Carlos Dunlap, mm -hmm. right? There are not additions that we know of, and who knows what's going to happen at the trade deadline, right? But, but there is nothing that you can count on on the defensive side coming back. And right now, you already know that you are going to be without Marquise Blair, who I— Every time I say fractured patella, it just makes my <laughs> leg yeah. hurt. Here's what we know is going to happen without Blair in the lineup. Yeah, Ugo, you know, he's been playing the spot for a year now. He's done a really nice job. Like I said to you all along, there was never a case where he was losing his job. We just thought Marquise needed to play and deserve playtime also. Remember, Marquise was there first way back when. And uh, so we recognize that. And, and so really, Ugo just takes over the spot. 
it is a nice luxury to have that you essentially have felt like you've had two starters there all season. Like it's really unfortunate for Marquis, especially because it's two years in a row. But in terms of positions where if if you were, th- I mean, he they were trading spots anyway, so it's hard to say who was the starter. But even if you thought of Blair that way, there's pretty very minimal fall off, if any. I mean, Ugo's been playing really well. He had the forced fumble in this past game, so it's a really unfortunate situation. But from a depth perspective, it's a, it's a good place to be in terms of who you have stepping in. And if you needed another guy, we have seen Ryan Neal play that position. We've also seen Ryan Neal come in at dimes. So it, I, I do think that while you won't recognize every name in that in that secondary or in those uh, DB meetings, I do think the Seahawks have some depth there that gives them some luxury. I also want to point out a blast from the past that got mentioned during Pete Carroll's press conference, because I do think that this works hand in hand. We talk about tightening stuff up on the back end. Well, how about the work that's done in the trenches up front? Al Woods gets a comparison to Big Red Bryant. That's that's heady company to be in. And yeah, I, I don't know that Pete Carroll's necessarily trying to say he's like emulating exactly who Red Bryant was as a player, but I think that was speaking more to his role right now. But he, I mean, he's playing really well. He's been good all season. And sometimes it's easy to, to not notice those guys, but they've moved him, you know, kind of that big end role a little bit more and he's thriving there. Yeah, I was just about to say that means to me, first of all, he's playing with a lot of energy, but it means that he's not just eating up blocks in the middle. Al Woods and Red Bright have a lot more speed than you think they do for their size. So moving them outside actually allows them to do a couple of more things. Because I remember when Red Bryant was in that role, that was really unusual. That was kind of the first time we saw that iteration of that big guy moving outside. And and you wonder how that's going to work. Without Red, that, that defensive line wouldn't have worked. You know who else really wondered how that was going to work was Red Bryant. Yeah. <laughs> he, when, when, the stories he tells about after the fact, when Pete Terrell... Carroll told him they were going to do that. He was like, what the hell are they doing? They thought that he thought he was done in Seattle when they started doing that. And it, it basically revived his career. And he was a huge part of some of the best defenses this team's ever had. Uh, one of the biggest smiles and biggest laughs ever too. Gosh, we love big red. Let's flip this matchup around. We've talked about the Seahawks defense and the defensive line for the Seahawks. Let's go Seahawks offensive line and the defensive line for the Jags. Look, Josh Allen is the guy that you've got to watch out for. The number seven overall selection in 2019 doesn't have a lot of sacks, but he can get to a quarterback pass pro and just being consistent up front. John, that has to be for as much as they say they want to run the ball and do whatever else. You got to go back to fundamentals. That offensive line has got to start functioning as a single unit. Yeah. I mean, we've just seen too many incidents where it doesn't seem like they're all on the same page. You know, maybe the, Maybe the snap comes out before all the linemen are ready, things like that. And it's just, you know, Pete Carroll said Ethan Posick is going to play this week. He didn't say who will start, but maybe that'll make a difference if Posick, who's a little more experienced, is in there at that spot. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But you're right. It, it needs to be better up front for this offense to and Geno Smith to function as well as they can. Yeah, and while sometimes it goes unnoticed during games because you're focused on the skill players, it has not gone unnoticed with the coaches or with Pete what's happening up front. Uh, we have to be more consistently on it, you know, with our calls and, our, and the stuff. We can we can get better there, and uh, so that's 
in that sense, um, the competition is, is still open, you know, and, and, and uh, it's important that we get a chance to see how, you know, how Ethan does and, and, and how Kyle does in response and all that. Um, it's, it's a very important position for Shane's um, background. You know, it's been a really important position for that guy to really command what's going on and, and assist the quarterback in, in, uh, in all ways. And, and uh, so we're still working at it. Well, and I think the Seahawks in general, I mean, you mentioned assist the quarterback. It's different if Geno's quarterbacking versus Russ, Mm -hmm. right? Russ has a different grasp of the system than Geno does. So we'll see how they end up mixing and matching. But overall, yeah, communication and consistency has to get better up front because you could see there was a few times where I think there could have been lanes on Monday night and they just were not in step with some of those blocks that they were trying to get. Yeah, and we've seen. I mean, we've seen all those guys play well together. Like, this is not a talent issue, I don't think. And I don't. We've think seen. So. We've seen just about everybody on that line play really well at times. It's just it hasn't quite looked clean enough. And that's the point Pete Carroll's making, just about the consistency. Well, and I think the other thing that helps is Damian Lewis. At this point, looks like he is going to be playing on Sunday. Hard to believe that a second-year player could make that much of a difference, but I do think that line looks different when he is in there. So you put him back in there at left guard. Jamarco then can kick out. Brandon Shell still is not. Uh, known whether he is going to be able to play on the right side. So um, getting one of your starters back could help on that one. How would you evaluate what Gino's been able to do the last couple of weeks? You know, I'd say for the most part, it's what, you know, what's reasonable to expect as a, from a backup. I, I was really encouraged, obviously, with the start against the, or the, his uh, relief duty against the Rams. He looked really good. And I thought he was pretty solid against Pittsburgh. It, it, you know, last game wasn't as clean. There were a lot of sacks. And I think some of those you could put on him. Some of them weren't, but he's got to get rid of the ball. A few of those situations. I mean, obviously the two late game turnovers were tough. One of those was just bad luck with Tyler Lockett fall, getting tripped up. But um, you know, I look, it, it hasn't been perfect. And I'm sure he would be the first to tell you he wants to be better and help this team win these games. But I, I also don't think you can expect a backup quarterback to come in and just carry the offense by himself. Well, no, but I do think it would be helpful if we could find one area of the offense that was functioning efficiently, right? Because the deep shot to DK, that was great, but you couldn't replicate that. Part of that really crappy weather on Monday mm-hmm. night. The wind was all over the place. It was raining on and off. I do think that there's an opportunity this week against that Jag secondary to perhaps get some of those deep plays. But also, if you're going to establish the run and that's what you want everything to go off of, you run it then better. you got to run it and you got to stick with it in the first quarter. And I think some of that is last week they wanted to get Rashad Penny going. Alex Collins is just a different type of runner. And part of it is the way he moves his feet. Part of it's how he cuts. But I don't know where you would like that offense to start, John, but you got to get something that he can do consistently and efficiently. Well, and also I, to me, if you're going to be committed to the run, you need to have a little more success there because you can't ask a backup quarterback to be operating at a third and eight plus yeah. all the time, which he had too many of those where you know, yeah, he took some sacks, maybe he shouldn't or didn't make some plays you would have liked him to make, but you're also putting him in some tough spots at times. Do you think we will see a more explosive game from DK or Tyler, or let's throw Freddie Swain into the mix, or perhaps D. Eskridge if he gets a chance to come back? That'd be nice. I'd love to see him back. Yeah, I, I think there's opportunity for sure to, to make some more big plays. Um, some of that will just be the weather's going to be a lot better. It looks like we're going to get some dry weather and Hopefully I that. hesitate. I'm going to knock on wood. Yeah, I you, hesitate to say too never, much. Yeah, you can never assume anything this time of year. But um, it, but also there's just more opportunity against this defense. You know, uh, Shaq Griffin's playing really well for them, but 
the rest of that secondary is pretty young and experienced. They've given up a lot of big plays this year. So I, I do think, you know, you're, they're still going to, CX are still going to want to be balanced around the ball, but I think there's going to be more opportunities to hit some of those bigger plays. Okay, well then let's see how this translates into the two things that we need to Perfectly. do. I know, it, I knew where you were going. It's like I could read your mind on this one because I think I just teed you up for one of the things that you want to see. What you got? I'm not even going to get specifics of the types of plays I want to see. What I want is just get the ball to Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf more often. It was, you know, there's always reasons why guys aren't getting targeted, but when you see DK have an 84 yard touchdown and then not have the ball thrown his way till the fourth quarter, that's. That's a little frustrating. And look, if a team's finding ways to get keep him or keep the ball away from him, get Tyler Lockett. So I want to see, let's say, 17 targets between the two of them. So, you, you know, doesn't have to be huge numbers, but just get, get them the ball a little bit more. And then uh, other side of the ball, we talked about Robinson. Just slow him down a little bit. Play good run defense like they did last week. Let's keep him under, let's say, 70 yards. And I think I think you'll make it tough on that offense if they can't run it. Okay, I am going to go with this. Get to Trevor Lawrence. He has only been sacked 10 times this year. Look, there's got to be an opportunity to get some pressure. And I guess if it's not if it's not sacks, then let's get some hurries and some hits on him because that is far too few. They are also down at least one starter on the offensive line. You've got to get to Trevor Lawrence. I do not want to see the rookie comfortable back there. And then turnover differential is a big one for Seattle. They are plus three. Jacksonville is minus 10. So let's keep that trend going now. We have now seen some takeaways start to come. They come in bunches, so let's get at least one takeaway um, and uh, hit the quarterback at least. I, I'd like to see three sacks, but I realize that that could be a stretch, but that's what we're going with. I think three is good. Okay. Let's do it. John says it, and so it will be. That will do it for this week's edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. We'll see you next week.